This is episode number 318 with Jason Vanderboom of the Founder Podcast. What you need is thirst. You need to be a thirsty human who is intent on learning. It's a really fascinating, fascinating exploration of human potential. Now. Now. now, the Founder Podcast. Even the greatest entrepreneurs had help. If you want to learn from the most successful founders on the planet, you are in the right place. Branson, Mark Cuban, Tony Robbins, Tim Ferriss, Ariana Huffington, Go, Steve Case, Gary V, Sophia Amoroso, Robert Corcoran, Damon John. Learn from the greatest minds in business today with interviews hosted by Nathan Chan. This is not your average entrepreneur podcast. The Founder Podcast. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Founder Podcast. Nathan Chan here, Sion Publisher of Founder Magazine, and super excited to have you once again for an awesome interview with a really, really successful founder. Today's guest is Jason Vanderboom, and he is the CEO and founder of a company called Active Campaign. Now, these guys are massive, and uh, they're one of the leading uh email service providers online and uh, they've grown really, really fast. And I've talked to Jason kind of what happened in the early days versus a few years ago when they really started to turn up the gear when it comes to growth. And it wasn't just raising capital. Um, We talk about why you don't need funding to build a sales team how to turn back on revenue and still see massive growth and everything in between on how to build and launch a successful company. So yeah, no, really, really fascinating interview. Crazy to hear how fast these guys are growing. And uh, yeah, guys, I hope you enjoy this episode. Now, if you are listening and you do want to start a side hustle, Uh, with your existing skills, then I recommend that you check out one of our newest programs called Start Your Side Hustle. We've got a free masterclass that you can sign up to where it's going to show you everything you need to know to start your own side hustle with your skills. Just go to founder.com forward slash side hustle. All right, guys, that's it from me. If you are enjoying these episodes, please do take the time to leave us a review and share this with one or two friends. All right, now let's jump to the show. The first question I ask everyone that comes on is, uh, how'd you get your job? Ah, that's, uh, so I got it out of necessity in a way. Uh, I started Active Campaign not for any like grand vision or anything like that. Um, I was looking to pay for art school at the time. Uh, and so I was doing consulting, didn't want to continue to repeat doing that, wanted to fine tune on something, uh, be able to craft something uh, over time. So I, I created Active Campaign. And, and from there, um, I've been able to kind of continue to do what I set out to do uh, so long ago. Yeah, wow. So is Active Campaign your first business? Yeah, in a way. And then I pause a little bit because when I was 12 or 13, I started doing a bunch of programming uh, and consulting, would find different businesses uh, where I was growing up and throughout the country where I could just find some some work. It initially started with web design, things like that, grew into more like custom software and custom intranets. 
Um, so that was my life. If, if you'd call that, that was a business and I always thought of that as a business, but otherwise uh, active campaign has been the, the remainder of my life. So I have a very simple uh, resume at this time. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Cause um, yeah, look, I'm very familiar with the company, the brand. You guys are a very, very well-known email service provider. Um, I've heard great things to be honest from a lot of my friends, especially around email deliverability um, uh, but before we jump into that, like this is a pretty hot space. Um, there's a lot of email service providers out there. What in 2003, what exactly was it? Like, what was the problem? Like, how did it come about? Like how, how sure. did it, how did this start? Yeah. So in 2003, there were fewer options for solving such a problem. So we started with contact management. But we solved it with the idea of like having someone download software, install it on their server, like a more old school on-premise sort of way of doing things. So we're competing with brands like Lyris at the time and whatnot. Um, And then as we had customers, uh, we started developing software for whatever need we had. So once we had more support tickets, we built help desk software. Uh, Once we wanted to talk to those customers more in real time, we built live chat software. And so like active campaign for the first 10 years went from one to eight products, all on-premise products, but all having a a focus on the customer and automation. Because during that period of time where we went from one to eight products, we only went from one to eight people. Uh, So from a team standpoint, I mean, like this wasn't the most logical path to building a business uh, or focus. Um, but this focusing on all these different aspects of the customer experience allowed us to really understand that this automation we were trying to do in each individual area, we thought like we could find much greater value for ourselves and our customers to bring that out, focus on customer data, focus on automation, uh, as a focal point, allow messaging, email marketing, things like that, uh, to be part of it. But how can we help automate the entire customer experience? And so that led to this idea of like what we're doing uh, with the on-premise software and whatnot, we could, we could, instead of continuing to build out all these different tools, let's just focus on contacts, customer data, automating that uh, in the entire customer experience. And, and we made the decision to go from eight products to one, uh, switch that over uh, to software as a service. Um, and that's probably like you, you're probably less aware of uh, the active campaign from back then uh, compared to the one today, right? Um, the, today, we're very much focused on customer experience automation. And it's, it's such a busy category. Like, like to your point, there's so many different players. And I think a lot of times when people are building businesses, they, they almost look at that as a negative. Um, whereas I see that as like, that that's that's an area of opportunity and and you obviously have to differentiate um but oftentimes those like uh extremely busy markets or categories uh have the ability to go in there and and, and transform it and and they're quite large yeah no um okay that makes sense so a couple of questions when did you move to the SaaS model when was that yeah, so we were fully switched over uh, as a company by 2016. So for oh, context, okay, not that long ago. Yeah. And so we started, you know, thinking about that. We started figuring out like starting to transition before that. Um, but we spent so much time uh, and we could have done it sooner. And, and with the compounding nature of SaaS, like, 
we would even be in a different state today if we did that sooner, probably. I like to not think about that too much. Um, <laughs> but uh, it, it's it's also like what we were spending time on was like, okay, what happens? Are we going to completely erode our existing business, which was a profitable, sustainable business. It was a good business and we didn't want to uh, end up in a worse spot. Uh, at the same time, we're like overthinking, like, what do we need to do? Like, what do we need to do infrastructure wise? What And thinking about all these things and thinking about most of those things actually fairly incorrectly because we we're just making guesses of the future. So that fear of success and the fear of like what will happen and almost over planning during that period of time probably wasted like a year or so of, of this uh, ability to transition over. Um, but ultimately, we're able to do that. Um, work with our customers, try to bring a lot of those customers to this new offering. Um, but for the ones that didn't want to go, um, it's always been very important to me that we we continued to support them. Uh, so even today, like every time uh, we have a new uh, hire class, uh, I'll go through and I'll, I'll show a recent example of us talking to one of the on-premise uh, customers from back in the day. Because I think it, it speaks a lot to being customer first as an organization, which I think is extremely critical, even more important than being product first. And 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 you have to be authentic if you're doing that. Um, being customer first, you, you can't just like throw that on a banner and be like, uh, customers are number one or all the generic stuff that's usually out there. Living by it means you're giving something up, right? So it means something on paper might not make sense. It's like we support on-premise customers from way back in the day. Obviously there's less support today uh, in regards to that, but but not abandoning the customers that help you get your business going. Yeah, wow, that's interesting. So, yeah, I, I can't believe that, um, yeah, you moved to SaaS uh, only in 2016 because um, SaaS has been booming a long time before that. Um, yeah. So I'm curious, uh, how come it took so long to come to that conclusion? Yeah, so... That's a that's a great question. We had we had a solid business. And so like we started offering some versions of SaaS and whatnot prior. Um, so we were we're dabbling with it, if you will. Yep. It was just a if you only ask your customers uh, what to do, um, if you only look at that, um, oftentimes you end up at a result that's not best for your business, or, and more importantly, for themselves. So our customers were looking to save time, right? And they were looking to save money. They were growing businesses. Um, the greatest challenge we had was they thought that a reoccurring subscription or something like that would, would cost them more, right? Uh, but they weren't valuing their own time. So as we were trying to work with our customers and bring them over to SaaS, um, it was an education and marketing experiment of sorts of, of helping articulate to them what their time is worth and whatnot and how they can unlock more. And as we did that, it started building this idea within our company of like, we can't just be a tool. We have to always be this like, how do we be more of a partner to a company versus just like a software, just a platform or just a set of functionality. Um, and so that, that kind of leads right into like a lot of things we do today. So instead of like with a lot of automation platforms, you get like a lot of options and, and you have to figure it out or work with a consultant. We start off with hundreds of recipes and ideas. Um, you can just click on one to get started and that creates these light bulb moments and you can customize to your business. And then, but still with all that said, like, could we have moved faster? Absolutely. And with compounding SaaS, like it probably would have made sense. Um, but at the same time, like I think 
you know, it's it's people look at so many different things about uh, there's a certain time window to do it. And I think it creates a really unhealthy pressure within businesses. Uh, and it creates for some some environments where people push too fast at the wrong times. Meaning like even in the last couple of years, we've gone from like 20 people in 2016 to over 600 today. Yeah, a lot insane, of people but... would look, yeah, but a lot of people would look at our business and say like, you're growing way too slow. You should have grown faster last year. And on paper, like I can't necessarily argue with all of that. At the same time, if you if you dig a little deeper and you you understand like to to build something, if you're looking to build it sustainable, looking to build it long term, you have to have the proper framing. You have you're building like just like you're building your product, you're building your platform, you're building that business. Um, there's a rate of speed at which probably makes sense. And I think sometimes we think about it as, and I think we're a good example of you look at the space. It seems like such a busy space. Like surely, like if you have some unique uniqueness, you must like quickly gather it all because it's all going to go away. Um, but it's quite the, like it, it's, I think there's certain situations where maybe that's true, but all too often, I think that's a false pressure um, put on businesses and founders uh, in the way of, of how they have to operate. Yeah, I see. So um, yeah, usually it's kind of, you know, you want to scale up and take the market. Um, uh, so have you guys raised any VC? Yeah. So late 2016, uh, we did a series A of 20 million. Uh, just more recently, we did a series B of a hundred million. Uh, so we have, um, but in a different way of, of not wanting to put ourselves into a spot where we had to, uh, and also not wanting to put ourselves into a spot where, we couldn't pursue what we thought was best. Uh, so I talk about like internally, like we always talk about optionality and that comes by phrasing, also comes by like the type of customers you work with. So really early on, um, we started creating this idea of like, we won't have a customer more than half a percent of our revenue. And and uh, the reason for that is I was, I was used to getting into some consulting things and whatnot. And all of a sudden you have one big customer and you start designing for their spec, right? Or you, whether you want to or not, you're ultimately going to start to. Uh, so we've we've been able to bring that and and maintain that uh, philosophy. Luckily now, uh, revenue is pretty high, so half a percent of revenue is, is a pretty big number. But I, I think that also allows you to um, create something that is innovative, that is actually changing something. Because otherwise, if you just go after if you treat your customer's feedback as your roadmap, you're just kind of like doing what people say. You're repeating what's in market. You're solving for a known problem instead of actually innovating on top of it. And if you can find the way, and it's not always possible, but if you can find the way to have that optionality and, and not be um, kind of just at the will of, of, of your customers or segments of your customer base, um, it's a really powerful thing. Yeah, I see. So um, just for for clarity for the audience, um, would you be able to give any numbers around traction, uh, revenue, users? Yeah, uh, we just uh, passed 100,000 paying active companies, uh, which is pretty exciting uh, for us. And we're over 100 million uh, in annual recurring revenue. Um, so it's, uh, it's a lot of hundreds uh, going on lately for us uh, between our Series B and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. So you guys would be yeah, probably, yeah, yeah, probably unicorn, right? Yeah. I mean, some people uh, obsess about that. 
or, or think about it. I go to great length, and this goes kind of back to the customer first thing of like bringing it all to customers. Like when we were gonna talk about like hitting 100 million ARR, we did that a little, we did that a while ago. We could have talked about it earlier, but yeah. I want to talk about that customer count. Like when we, when I try to add an all hands or something like that, we focus on like surface customer stories and do that from international and whatnot. Like putting that focus on the customers and the value you're providing. It's not only more meaningful, it's it's something that like has like the the, the revenue will follow if 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 things are set up somewhat properly, right? So it's uh I think that's that's far more of what I sort of believe in and care in. Uh, and that kind of goes back to that like it doesn't have to be this like time box window of like creating something. I, I'd argue you can create uh, a, a, a lot of innovation. You can take a lot of a category, create a category even over time. But yeah. Yeah. So this is really interesting to me because, um, yeah, look, we're, we're with Marrow Post, have been for some time. And we do also use uh, Infusionsoft as our CRM as well. Um, so we use Marrow to do most of our mailing now. Yeah. Um, mainly because of deliverability and, and stuff like that. Um, and, they're, and they're more mid market. Uh, and, uh, but look, to be honest, active campaign was always like everyone saying like you guys have a very, very good name reputation in the marketplace. If we were going to move anywhere, if we didn't, if we weren't with our active campaign is a place that we would look, I've heard the deliverability is really solid. I heard the integrations are really solid. I've heard, um, yeah, it's, it's a really, really solid tool. And what, what's most interesting to me is this space of between 2003 and 2016 when you were doing the on-premise software. So, like, yeah, you've had insane growth from 2016 to 2019. I, I assume, you know, uh, in terms of, of revenue and growth, a lot of it's come in the past four years. And then you've decided to – you so you went to SaaS and then you decided to raise a Series A um, – what changed? Like, why after 13 years? Like, wait, because this is like like crazy growth. You said you've gone from from 20 to 600 people. Uh, so yeah, a lot has changed. Usually, you don't see growth like this. It's usually kind of slow and steady on the up. Um, yeah, I'm curious. Like, what 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 changed? Did you have an epiphany? Did you bring on a partner of some sort to to help, or what? Or what was it? A person? Yeah. Yeah, no, so it wasn't, uh, like, we couldn't have done any of this without, like, an amazing group of people. Like, during that first 10 years, we only grew to eight people, right? But the the realization, by building out each of these individual tools, and, like, so when we built out Helpdesk, it wasn't just, like, managing tickets and email flows. It was how do we make ourselves more efficient through automation. So not only, not are we just trying to automate the customer's experience. We want to automate as much as we can to help uh, the person at Active Campaign helping that customer, meaning automation overdone uh, leads to really bad results. So what we want to do is help enable the rep, uh, so you can still have that personal touch as well. Um, and we started doing that in every single little piece, and that created this like view of, you know, what if we could do this across everything? And then instantly we thought of the classical way a lot of people have tried to do this in the past of. Okay, we could have all these products, we could merge them all together and we'll have this like business product and it'll be like, it'll solve everything for everyone. And uh, the end result, as we all know, is it goes super wide on, on functionality, super shallow on depth uh, and ultimately a business 
can't find everything they're looking to do. Even like you just mentioned, you have a couple different tools that you integrate with because you probably like certain pieces uh, of each one. And and businesses of all sizes want that. And I think there's this like, uh, by working with small businesses, especially at the time, I think there was this idea of like all-in-ones are simple and small businesses are simple. There's nothing really simple about a small business because they want to have even more personalization. They want to have even more of a crafted customer experience half the time because that's how they differentiate from bigger brands. They, they want to bring that authenticity of who they are and what they're providing throughout. So what we often find is even with like a small business, they're trying to bring even more tools together, but they still want to have that like almost all-in-one native feel to it. So they want the best of both worlds, which means something has to work on like, how do you bring data together, make it actionable, automate across different things. Messaging plays a big role in that. So we do a lot of messaging and whatnot, but like, how do you take automation beyond just like, just trying to send something out or beyond just um, trying to get and close customers, but through the whole thing. And so we had that decision moment back then of, um, we can choose to be the all-in-one on-premise that would have been a that would have been a fun call. Glad we didn't do that. Could choose to be all in one in a SaaS solution, or it can continue on all these point solutions. Uh, and we ultimately decided like we saw this big opportunity. And we had like obviously it was a much smaller business then, but it was a really amazing business. We're having a lot of fun developing things, had amazing customers, so we had a lot to lose at the time to make that. But when you see such an opportunity, and we saw so many people going at it with a different approach, particularly like that, like we're going to build everything and it's going to be good for someone. Um, that felt like, let's go after this. And then as we started going, um, it really started to resonate, uh, helping us create that growth. Yeah. And uh, why did you decide to decide to raise uh, capital? Yeah. So it was uh, later in 2016. So we're already seeing a ton of momentum. Uh, we didn't have to. Um, but that was always key. Like I wanted to, if, if we were to raise, uh, didn't want it to be at a moment where we had to for surely. Um, and then two, um, I just thought, like that optimal timing of like this, this felt like the right time. Um, I also wanted now keep in mind, I was working for over 10 years with like no outside pressure, if you will, in a weird way, I almost wanted that, like, uh, outside, I could have gotten a variety of other ways possibly without having to raise capital, but like, uh, and, and being able to do it in a way where maybe they can't necessarily control decision, but even if I can just like make them sad or like, or have someone questioning ideas and questioning like what we're doing or helping, um, I thought there'd be value there too. And that's what started, uh, having me just even talk to people. And then ultimately I just found, uh, a, a firm with some folks that, really seem to understand uh, not just like the market and what we're doing, but like the approach and, and the difference of how we're going to go after it. Someone that wasn't going to necessarily just like push us into the common playbook of see some success, move up market. Um, and, uh, and and so I looking back, could we have done everything without raising? Yeah. But at the same time, they've added a ton of value and I wouldn't actually take any of it back whatsoever. Um, there's also a, a a, even if you're running like a, a business that's doing really well and all that and, and, and you don't necessarily need it, anything you can do to sleep a little bit better at night, and in this case, like even more cash in the, in the business, that allows you freedom to, to think, innovate and, and push on things in a different way. And, and that's like that's worth 
uh, that's worth something. Yeah, I see. And I guess um, it sounds like, uh, you know, the firm that, that uh, you're working with uh, found a first. Very much so. And, and like the, the, the funny thing is like every firm will say they're founder first, including like the ones that are probably like the exact opposite. But um, by spending some time and more importantly, like talking to other people that have worked with them and whatnot, I, I got them. I was confident with that, but like uh, couldn't say couldn't say better things about them today. Yeah, that's awesome. And then um, I'm curious as well, kind of, you you talked about customer first versus product first. Can we delve a little deeper on that? Because uh, in the software world or even, you know, Silicon Valley tech world, uh, they're obsessed with the product. It's yeah. all about the product, 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 product. The best product wins. How do you build a 10x product in the marketplace and take the market? Um, you have a different approach. Yeah. And so, yeah, I have a different thought on that. You know, if you only focused on product, it creates a lot of issues and situations throughout the organization, um, in my mind. By focusing on being customer first, you do need a product that isn't like, the opposite of, of something a customer could use, right? So that goes back to like, how can you provide more of that partner feel to a business um, where it's not just a bunch of functions, features, things like that, but you give them ideas. But you're never going to be able to do enough there uh, fast enough on the product front. So that's where like also being customer first comes into play. And so like we'll do things uh, and, and a lot of things are, are ways to grow that your peers may not be able to do because they're larger. So we offer like free migration. So if someone's using another platform, we'll help move all the data over for free. Most people would charge for that because that's what would make sense. Um, we offer like free strategy sessions and things like that. And so even we had a freemium offering for a short period of time and we offered free strategy sessions for all the freemium accounts and it wasn't sales or anything, but like, and yeah, it was a, it was a dumb thing on paper um, but we learned so much during that period of time. And we also arguably created advocates in, in a unique way. So like if you only focus on the product and you only focus on just building that, you almost think of your customers as a second to that. Um, and it's just switching that order, which seems like I think the actual change for like what it means to a product org isn't that much. It's the rest of the company where it matters so much. It's like that constant drumbeat of anytime you're bringing everyone together, you're surfacing true actual conversations with your customers instead of getting like, uh, like instead of just getting dashboards and reports of like, what's our CSAT and NPS and whatnot. No, let's get the raw text from what customers are saying. Let's relate that to that person and share snippets of that because reading into the tone and whatnot is far more powerful than you've seen like a graph of like this NPS is going up or down. Like that doesn't really drive someone and that doesn't really get down to not necessarily what data together says, but like what, what is potentially a way of solving for whatever they're, they're having an issue for if they are having one uh, in a way that's not directly how they think it should be solved um, but something that could even be greater. That's an interesting approach. So when you say you shouldn't do what customers say uh, when it comes to product development, like that's that's a pretty standard playbook. If you don't do that, how do you know like how to build a great product? 
Yeah. And so one, I think you should have some thought or conviction around like what you're trying to solve, like at a super high level, right? Um, if you only look at directly what your customers are asking for, it's probably going to mirror what's on the market to a good degree. Um, on top of that, you're probably looking at all your competitors at the same time and thinking like, they must be doing really well. I'm going to like, this is, this, this is the direction we have to go in. That stifles your ability to actually innovate or create something. It's not that you don't care about your customers. It's not that you won't actually solve what they're asking for. It's just trying to do it um, in a way that uh, isn't necessarily exactly how they prescribe. Meaning, um, like there's been times where we've released functionality in terms of adding in more sales components and whatnot and, and different pieces of uh, automation where like if internally it actually almost caused more conflict at times because people weren't asking for it. And if, if you're building something that people are not asking for, it's somewhat counterintuitive, but that oftentimes is innovation. It might also be something that nobody wants at times too. So you have to be careful, but like it, it you need to allow some room for that. And then obviously you, you'll, you'll solve hopefully through some of that, some of the common themes but this goes back to like, I think it's the power of working with small businesses and whatnot. It gives you this flexibility of having some freedom to operate like that. Whereas if we, if we shifted and had like a couple customers that really drove all the demand, then you don't have that luck. Then you have to kind of, you have to solve for those more immediate needs, um, which is fine because there's plenty of businesses that do that, just a different approach. Mm, I see. So when it comes to kind of uh, growth, one thing you said uh, that you guys are proud of is yeah typical SaaS playbook is uh, you know to to obtain growth you go out market that's something that you guys haven't done yet or, or that much that you're proud of can you kind of elaborate on that a bit more please yeah so I think uh, if you're trying to solve like take take what we're trying to solve we're trying to solve like customer experience automations automating across the entire customer lifecycle the differences that exist for a small business a mid-market enterprise are different. There's different tools, there's different complexity, things like that. But just like we're trying to like help people personalize their own customer experience, I think we could personalize a platform uh, uh, for that and cater it to them. Uh, surface suggestions around their data, things like that. So I, I don't think you actually have to. And I think as you move up, um, it narrows uh, your ability to innovate because, because you become more reliant. Uh, for us, it's meant we always have automation accessible all the way down to like $9 a month. And, and that's key because it's like every business at some point is a small business, right? Like, and so we want to work with them. We want to be able to help fuel that. Also, the fact that we have 100,000 companies using our, our, our platform, that's an amazing growth vehicle. Um, like most, most of our traffic, most of our growth comes in organically. And that's because we're focused on not just like offering a, like a small business uh, um, accessible version, but we're actually trying to help them make make them be successful so they are those advocates. And that's what that's what creates so much. So if you were to move off of that, um, that's another disadvantage you have of the way of that won't exist. Now it might be easier to do paid advertising, things like that, um, just because the economics of it all, but. Um, I think we're seeing more brands and, and Shopify is a good example as well of just being remaining like democratizing the ability for e-commerce in their case. Right. 
um, while at the same time serving mid-market enterprise. I think the problems are more similar than they're different. Like a lot of our functionality, we thought that small businesses needed. Mid-market actually really likes. They were fine declaring a bunch of automation statements before because they had to. But if they can save time on some of that and then push on some other things, they will. Yeah, I see. So when it comes to growth, you went from 20 to 600 people. Um, if you do the math, that's like in the past four years, that's almost, yeah, a new person every week, right? Yeah, more. probably more. Yeah. Yeah. Um, How did you manage that? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh it's been it's been a little bit of learning. I think part of it goes back to what I was saying is like controlling uh, the growth however we could. So it's it's always felt like a little bit of catching up to to momentum. Um, but like I mentioned, uh, some people would say we should have grown faster. And I think finding like how can you stay ahead? How can you help people internally become the leaders for the next phase? And when when you're growing that quickly, next phase could be very soon. Um, and then just building out support uh throughout um in addition like the same like customer mentality we have trying to take that internally as well surveying like health uh, like basically health scores and whatnot of of how people are feeling in different parts of the organization as you start to get more um feeling of like there's like tension like it's oftentimes related to we're growing too fast for the current structure the current like frame and whatnot. And we almost, and there's been times where we sort of pause or slow down and like let the organization catch up. Um, but it's a, uh, it's been possible. It's the most fascinating part of the whole thing. I guess I'd say I come from more of an engineering background, but like um, the power of just like that, like amazing people and bringing them together and trying to figure out how can you do that where you all don't just don't get in your own way. That that's a problem. I, I can't say we've like fully solved, but by any means. But like it's a, it's it's a fascinating thing to keep working on. And you you talked about having your people ready um, for those different stages of growth. Have you been able to do that, or you've had to bring in trained executives? Yeah, so it's a bit of a mixture, uh, and I think that's probably a healthy uh, uh, way of doing it. Meaning, um, just like uh, I, don't, I don't think we could do it all internally because at some point you have to you have to hire um, and get gain even different perspectives. Um, so while we're being small business first, I want people with sort of a mid market or enterprise mindset. I want people to be pushing on all different ideas from different directions. At the same time, I want people that are starting today um with active campaign to be pushing on whatever we're doing and whatever the norm is so building that culture of just like questioning um and i think if you just kind of it's something you just have to reiterate and just kind of like and also be okay when people do that which i think a lot of like goes back to like a companies will say a lot of things and then once people actually do it it'll be like uh it was just for you know a talking point or something um so it's a uh i don't know it's 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 a it's an it's it's a it's a fun thing and did you did you expect when you raised that Series A that you guys would grow this fast? Yeah, no, no, not not to the degree we have. I don't think I've ever like fully expected that. Um, just given like it, you're always kind of in the moment um, 
at, at any given stage. And especially then we're so much in the building of the business and building of the um, different areas of the business. It, it was hard to sort of step outside of like that, that day itself and, and the, the peaks and, and valleys within the day. Um, we were seeing momentum though, uh, before raising. So, and that's part of the reason why we did. So we knew we were onto something. Um, but yeah, it's, it's the ability to work with like all of these, like, uh, amazing people that now we're like, it's just, uh, that's been a big growth area for myself as well. So it's, uh, it's a humbling experience. Yeah. I'd love to talk about just work to working towards wrapping up, but I'd love to talk about kind of, um, you know, everything that's happening in the world, you know, COVID-19, we've kind of haven't even touched on that. Um, Have you guys been affected? You know, what are you guys doing to respond? Yeah, so we're doing everything we can to help our customers. So we have a lot of small businesses and whatnot. Uh, The best way we can do that is, is being that partner to them, both programmatically, but also with our customer success team. So I mean, we're seeing like amazing stories. Like we've had like a tour company in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, uh, transform and, and they gave like in-person tours. So like overnight, like the whole business is like done. Right. Um, but they're able to have transform and now they ship out products from different areas and they do more of a virtual tour and they've actually get, got some like good growth with that. And we've been able to have, witnessing all of these amazing stories has been truly like, uh, exciting and, and trying to take that and share some of those strategies with others. As a business, we're fortunate to be in an area where uh, we're able to help with engaging with your customers. It's never been more difficult to engage with your customers, um, but to do so in a meaningful way, meaning like I'm sure you've seen and, and everyone's like gotten like, you know, 500 emails about you know a brand you've never heard about that you maybe bought something from that's now just giving their update on what they're doing and whatnot. Um, that's not what I mean when i say like authentic messaging and getting getting to your customers so that's an area where we're able to help in in a bit of a unique way so we're seeing a lot of brands start to work with us um even faster i think there's a there's a form of digital transformation that's that's definitely if it wasn't a priority before becomes a necessity um and and it's a uh that's something we fully take on as as we'll do whatever we can to help them that's awesome yeah no it's uh incredibly crazy time right now um yeah yeah we're, we're trying to produce as much content as we can to serve and do whatever we can for our community as well um so working towards wrapping up what's exciting for you uh in the future and uh, also uh yeah uh, yeah yeah what's exciting yeah, so the uh, so we've been over 55% international in terms of customers for quite some time uh, within the last year or so. We've been starting to build that out with more focus, and we're just seeing tremendous results, both from a, a business growth standpoint, but also what does that mean to our product? What does that mean to our company uh, of how we work with customers um, as we bring all these different views? And so that's, that's truly exciting. And then also just like what we're doing in terms of how do we make automation even more powerful, faster for people? Meaning, how do we make it so that no two customers with a brand share the same experience, where that content, where that timing is different? And being able to do that with even small data sets and small businesses and whatnot, we have a lot of innovation that we started to bring out and we're going to continue to bring out in that. 
Um, and that's just a really exciting area where we can then be there for a business with, with the idea uh, and deliver a personalized experience that feels crafted to that individual, one that the consumer actually likes and enjoys and expects. Um, and that's that's the type of uh, uh, impact we want to have on customer experience, experiences throughout. Yeah, love it. And um, two last questions. One, where's the best place people can find out more about yourself and Active Campaign? And then two, uh, what would be just your parting words of wisdom that you would like to share for our audience, early stage startup founders, either just about to launch something or have launched something, been working out for a couple of years? Yeah, so um, can find more at activecampaign.com, can reach out to me directly on LinkedIn or Jason at activecampaign.com. As far as people starting and whatnot, I think it's, yeah, I, I would just trust your instincts a, a little bit and allow some time and whatnot. I mean, like it's the the problem that exists all too often is we see playbooks, we see stories, we see we see outliers in special situations or something like that. And we think we have to mold to that to create traction, to create growth, uh, to create a business. And, and all too often that can kind of lead you down the wrong path. So I think it's really trusting uh, your instincts on that a little bit um, and, and trying to find a path that is a little bit differentiated. Maybe it takes a little bit longer. Maybe it's not going to get that like, you know, news article, like, you know, year one or even year 10. But like, uh, if you are passionate about it, enjoy it, uh, and, and, and have that strength to kind of find your way through that, um, go for it. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time, Jason. This was an yeah, awesome conversation and, uh, yeah, congratulations on all of your success thus far. I know you guys are doing great work and, uh, yeah, continue to, uh, yeah, prosper. Uh, likewise. Thanks. Appreciate it. Founders, entrepreneurs, influencers, disruptors. We feature hundreds of in-depth case studies with the greatest business minds of our current generation. Building a business is hard. The founder mission is to help you create an ass-kicking business and help you learn straight from the mouths of world-class founders. Get your free printed edition of Founder Magazine featuring Sir Richard Branson. Just cover shipping and handling at founder.com forward slash Branson. That's F-O-U-N-D-R dot com forward slash Branson.